0: Anaya asked her again, was she sure about this? Because once it was done, it couldn't be undone. Safina took a deep breath and let it out real slow. She thought long and hard about what she was about to do, stayed up nights, swishing it around in her head, and she still wasn't sure. Would splitting her consciousness hurt? When she asked Anaya, she smiled and said, no. It'll be confusing for a little while, because you'll feel yourself in two places at once, and if you're not used to that, it could be a little strange. But she'd explain that once that part of her consciousness was completely separate, she'd go right back to feeling like herself again. Easy peasy. Safina was sitting on the side of a bed, floating in the middle of an infinite ocean. Or at least... That's what the living prison reminded me of an ocean without end. The bed didn't have a mattress or bed sheets, no pillows either. It was solid wood and what looked like a box spring that was long, thin and bowed slightly in the middle. Didn't look like something made for comfort. But when Safina laid down on it, she felt like she was floating on air. Inscribed into the headboard were paragraphs of hieroglyphics, and they lit up the second her head touched the wood. Safina asked how long it would take, and Anaya said it would be a few days. She reached down and gently removed the ankh from Safina's neck, quietly reassuring her that she'd watch over things until it was done. Part of Safina's consciousness would be watching over the prison now. At least she knew she could trust it and that it would never betray her, though Anaya had warned Safina that it would be a completely independent being with its own thoughts and opinions. Anaya laid a hand on Safina's forehead and asked if she was ready. Safina nodded. Everything was going to be okay, she thought. The last thing Safina saw was a giant version of her eyes looking back at her from the sky glowing eyes watching from a thick branch near the tip of a massive tree, shrouded in darkness. Asha looked up at them, and the eyes leapt from the tree, landing a few feet away from her in complete silence. Visible now, underneath the moonlit sky, was a black panther, but unlike that version of Auk the seeker faced in the ruins of Kush, this panther was flesh and blood. Before Asha could flinch, the beast pounced, tackling her, and began licking her face excitedly. This was an old friend. She'd found Kali in the Amazon as an orphaned cub seven years ago and used her ring to create a fully-grown panther to act as its mother. This wasn't, technically speaking, allowed by the tribe. The ring was only supposed to be used to track down Auk, but the second she'd seen the dark furball with eyes, she'd fallen in love. Like all her animal creations, the full-grown panther that watched over Kali in a very real sense was a part of Asha. So even though she wasn't always physically there, an aspect of her was raising the cub. She'd also made it a point to drop in and check up on her every few weeks. After cuddling for a bit, Asha's ring lit up and she looked Kali in the eye. Wasn't much that could scare a fully grown panther, but Kali had gotten in touch with Asha telepathically and showed her something that had. But was it Seth? She had to check it out for herself. The panther led Asha through the thick, steamy darkness before she stopped and looked down. But what she saw first was a trail of large ants, which wasn’t unusual. After all, this was the Amazon. What was unusual were their eyes, which had a familiar red glow. Asha quickly backed away and carefully took out an ancient jar inscribed with hieroglyphics. She needed to capture all of Ox' bits. She and Kali stooped down behind a giant tree a distance away from the ant trail, and using her ring as a light, Asha scanned the trail and saw that it led up to an enormous ant hill. There were sounds emanating from it. "Was that thunder?" she thought. Then the earth shook. Asha held on to the tree to steady herself. Was that Seth underneath that mound? The god had been captured before Wusa created the seeker, so she'd never seen the god at full strength. But something told her that, well, it wasn't him. That this might just be something else. And she wasn't sure why she got that sense. But as a seeker, when your gut told you something, you listened. As she began to unscrew the ancient wooden jar, the wind suddenly picked up and she got a glimpse of what appeared to be dark particles whipping inside the carvings of her ring. The light emanating from it was suddenly snuffed out. Asha set the jar down and removed the ring to take a closer look and felt a nudge against her leg. Kali was obviously in need of attention, but she'd have to wait, she thought. If there was something wrong with her ring, she could be stuck with no way to contact the others. Then she felt something sting her hand and spotted a piece of oak that appeared to be an ant scurrying up her arm. She shook it off, then looked up the tree and saw legions of them, legions of ants, swarming down the trunk. A split second later, she was running with Collie as hard as she could in the opposite direction. When she looked back, The ant-like pieces of Auk were closing in. I was about to dive right back into the darkness, and O said I needed to get used to it, because when you wore shadow armor, you weren't supposed to be able to see. Your eyes could be fooled, he said, but the armor couldn't. None of that made sense to me, but it wasn't the only thing. See, I knew I'd heard Auk in my head, and As soon as I got back to my room, I told them both that I heard them. O shook his head. He said something about it being some kind of echo? Thought echo was what he said, to be exact. Thought echo. I looked at him, confused. Sometimes, he said, if you had the armor on and you were remembering something that was scary or exciting... The armor would echo the memory, and you could hear it like it was an actual voice. He said this was why I'd have to learn to quiet my thoughts and emotions during the training, which was supposed to begin the next day. And the first thought in my head was that if Naoi wasn't going to be there the whole time, this training thing wasn't going to happen. If I was going to have to endure the smell of burnt hot dogs and ocean breeze cologne, she'd have to do it too. And right after I had that thought, he said that now he would be there without me having to say a word. Hmm. I wondered, being that he was half God, if he could read my mind. And as soon as I thought about it, I asked, because, you know, if he could do it, I didn't want him creeping around in my head. He said, yeah, he probably could, but he wouldn't. Said he thought it was rude, intrusive. A person's thoughts were their own and nobody, but that person had the right to know them. I noticed that he made triple sure, not double, not single, but triple sure that he was looking at Naoi when he made that particular point. Now he didn't seem to notice. I was still trying to figure him out. Yes, he'd saved us in the underworld, but I got this sense that there was more to him. Something that I wasn't seeing. I don't know. So instead of Nawi climbing out of my window like she usually did, she took O's hand and suddenly they were both in shadow. Then, they shot up as quiet as a whisper and disappeared through the ceiling. (laughs) He made it look so easy. I laid down and shut my eyes. As tired as I thought I was, I wasn't able to go right to sleep. I kept thinking about the possibilities. From what O said, the armor was more than just protection. You could fly pass through solid objects, but that wasn't all. Oh no. You could shift from three dimensions to two and two to one. What that meant was that you could literally be somebody's shadow, and I was like, wow, what would that feel like? The last thought I had as I was shutting my eyes was wishing Naoi had stayed behind. I always slept better when she was in the room. The next day, I got started. Getting up, brushing my teeth, cleaning my ears, singing in the shower, getting dressed. You don't want to hear me sing, but making my tuna sandwich, tuna and peanut butter sandwich, all done blindfolded. saw this documentary once about this kid that was a blind wrestler. Watching the way he moved, he made it look effortless. But I came to understand after that morning that making it look effortless took a lot of work. I continued to practice at school for bathroom breaks, lunch, on my phone texting, surfing the web, all done with my eyes shut. A blindfold would have attracted way too much attention, especially by a certain security guard, but I didn't cheat didn't open my eyes once. This was where I needed to start, according to O. Before I could wear that armor again, I needed to trust my instincts more than I trusted my eyes. Naya was always there, but she didn't help, as O had instructed. Even when a senior, who had to be at least seven feet tall with arms like tree trunks, threatened to drop me on my head because I, hmm, accidentally bumped into him. She stayed completely out of it and let me handle it on my own. I handled it. All right. From the other side of the school days, got into weeks and weeks, got into months of the same routine. And there was this one day I nailed it, did everything almost perfect. There was just this one fall going to the bathroom. That was it. Funny. The second I stopped caring about doing it all perfect was when I was able to do it perfectly. Strange how these things work out. What was stranger and was really starting to bother me was that the better I got, the less I saw Naoi and O they'd be gone all lunch supposedly looking for seth but then now he let it slip once that they'd gone to some island in tahiti really tahiti the fact that O could take her anywhere on the planet in minutes didn't make me jealous oh no not at all i was frustrated because i knew that while they were off on some tropical island soaking in the sun seth was growing stronger. The other thing that frustrated me was that Nawi wasn't doing her part. She was supposed to be teaching me how to fight, but she wasn't. When I'd see her, which was rare, she'd be in this daze. I'd have to wave my hands in front of her eyes to snap her out of it. While all this stuff was going down, I continued to keep an eye on Leia, who wasn't following us like she was before. Well, it was either that, or she stopped wearing heels. I kept looking at her footage, thinking I must have missed something, but after going through the thing frame by frame, I still hadn't seen anything. During one of my solo lunches, Leia actually walked up on me. I was in the middle of munching down when she said, Hi, and I almost choked from the shock of it. Leia Nagasaki, with over 100,000 followers on several social media platforms, actually said hi and oh, wasn't anywhere in sight. I had to check my heartbeat to make sure I was still alive. After I cleared my throat and managed to swallow, I responded, but uh, I'm not quite sure what I said. Maybe hi, but it was probably some word that didn't exist in the English language. I noticed in that moment that she was very un First, she wasn't wearing anything stylish, which was really, really strange. I mean, I didn't know a lot about women's clothing or anything, but she was wearing black tights and a simple shirt with a dark baseball cap pulled over her eyes, and I don't think she was wearing a lot of makeup either. It was the first time I'd really had a chance to see her face raw. And, you know, she didn't need the makeup, I thought. She was good without it. The other thing I noticed was that she wasn't carrying the crown jewel of cameras, the Mach 3, which was perfectly fine with me because she never held it right anyway. As I stared at her... A fly actually landed on what was left of my sandwich, but I didn't flick it away. I just kept staring. Leah took a look around, then scooted a bit closer with her phone out. She said she wanted to show me something. And if I thought I'd somehow left the living before, I was sure that this time my heart had actually stopped when I saw what I saw. The first clip was from the day that Naui battled Ock, but this footage didn't show the fog like the one she posted. This showed a pair of glowing red eyes, but they were only visible for a split second. She rewound the clip and froze it on the eyes, and she looked up at me. I got the sense that those eyes had kept her up for quite a few nights. She'd said. That she trashed it deleted it when she was editing the post thinking it was the same as the other footage but just before she hit the delete forever button something had told her to check it one more time to make sure she hadn't missed anything when she did she'd seen these eyes then she looked me straight in the eye and asked me if I knew what that thing was. The first thing I did was shake my head, but then she swiped her finger across her phone to bring up another clip. This showed a glimpse of Naoi's face and a flash as she swung Aja, her weapon. Then she said, I think, you know, my mind was whipping around from one thing to another. She hadn't posted it yet, but why? And what would happen if she did? Is that why she was showing this to me? Or did she want money? Oh, cause you know, I didn't have any money. What would the school say if they found out? Would they kick Naoi out? And the world, they'd find out too. Well, I thought it was gonna happen at some point, but was the world ready to know? I never thought I'd have to think about that, about the world knowing who and what my best friend was. Oh, saved by the bell, literally. I popped up like I was sitting on a spring, but before I left, I told her I was gonna talk to Nawi about this tonight. In the meantime, Please, please, please don't post this. I promised, promised Leia that we'd explain everything. Of course, I didn't know what else to say and had no idea what Naoi would say once I told her. That night, I stared out my window, waiting. I tried calling Naoi earlier, but she didn't answer. I even took a look into the backyard where she'd camp when Jima was annoying her, but she wasn't there either. I waited and waited, but I didn't see Naoi or Oscar. Where were they? Well, there was only one way I knew to find him. I'd have to use the shadow armor. As soon as I thought about it, I could hear O's voice in my head telling me not to use it unless he was with me, but I didn't care. This was important. Activating it wasn't going to be easy, though. When I'd asked him why it activated that night, he said something about it being connected to fear. Once the armor sensed the fear inside, it formed around me in order to protect me from the threat. So... That's what I had to do. I had to focus on fear. I sat there trying to scare myself with thoughts of what would happen if Ark had been standing behind me or what was going to happen to the planet if Seth came back to power. But nothing happened. No sign of the shadow armor. It was quite frustrating. Right after I had that thought, I heard my own voice in my head ask what exactly I was trying to do. Two things you have to understand. These words weren't thoughts that I was creating. They were being spoken by an actual voice, my voice, but it, it, it wasn't me. I'd lost it, I thought. That's it. But the voice reassured me that I was still quite sane. Suddenly, I was once again in darkness. It was the armor. I took a breath and remembered my training. Rely on my instincts. I asked the voice if it knew where Naoi and Oscar were, and it said, not exactly. But it could sense that O's armor wasn't far. Then I asked why it hadn't spoken to me before, and it said that it wasn't sure how we would have taken it. We were already really, really scared. We? I wasn't sure why the armor kept saying this, but I had more pressing issues to deal with. I asked if it could fly me, and it said, yes, we can fly. So, I stood up and waited to be lifted into the air, but nothing happened. I said, okay, I'm ready, and the voice said, no. You're not. When we're ready, we'll fly. I didn't have time for this. I flung both arms into the air, and I'm not sure where my stomach went in that moment, but I knew it wasn't attached to my body anymore. The speed climbed higher and higher didn't think something was capable of moving that fast, and even though I couldn't see, I had this sense that I'd just passed through clouds. At that moment, I stopped, and I just hovered. I asked the armor what it was doing, and it said we wanted to stop and take in the view. The darkness covering my face lifted, and from that distance... I could see the curvature of the earth. It was extraordinary. Then I heard another voice above my head. It said, finally. I spun around and I was facing O and Naoi who were hovering a few feet above me. Naoi had felt horrible about having to do what she did. But O had said that this was a part of Of the training that had to do with me and the shadow armor it had to do i guess with our connection so they'd been staying away from me on purpose i was still upset with anawi but then i spun back around again and took another look at the planet i realized in that moment that i'd do anything to help protect it Then I asked them if they knew about Leia, and they said, yeah, they did. Turns out they were listening in on our conversation. Now he told me not to worry. She had a plan. Then she dropped down a few feet with O until she was hovering directly beside me. As we took in the view together, she put an arm around me. Asha had crouched down as low as she could. Kali was gone. She'd split off from her in hopes that the ant-like pieces of auk would follow her and leave the panther alone, and they did. She wasn't sure how, but she was pretty sure that she'd lost them. But what was that sound? In the distance, Asha could see the ground splitting apart, and there was a brilliant light flaring out, and a sound. On May 21st, two weeks from today, we battle chaos.